0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present the Diane Ray show. I've got an exciting guest and I'm looking forward to diving in and, and talking with her. So I'm just kind of leading up to this it all, it all fits in. You'll see. So last night I was watching an old tonight show with Johnny Carson. My husband likes to watch 30 year old talk shows and to him, Johnny's alive. I don't know. He's a fan. So anyway, on this particular show, Uh, One of the guests was one of my favorite comedians, George Carlin, and I'm a huge fan, and I love George so much, and I miss him dearly, and I love George so much that I had a cat named George in homage to him. Well, on this particular episode of The Tonight Show, George was doing his classic bit, A Place for My Stuff, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it's such a great observation on why we're obsessed with getting more stuff how hard it is to get rid of it, and why we need a bigger place for it. So it's really hysterical. So it was kind of funny that I was watching this last night and then leading up to talking to my guest today, because she's going to help us get a handle on our stuff, both material and emotional, and help us go from clutter to clarity. And my guest today is Carrie Richardson, and she's a lifestyle designer, trained coach, and the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of the book, What Your Clutter Is Trying to Tell You, and her new book. Is from Clutter to Clarity. And Carrie has coached thousands of people over the last 15 years, helping them to achieve goals they never thought possible, creating richly expansive, amazing lives. And you may have seen her work featured in Boston Magazine, New York Times, Daily Mail UK, BBC, among many others. And she was also the host of the popular Hay House radio show Transformational Clutter Clearing with Carrie Richardson. So I'm really happy to welcome her today. Hi, Carrie. Hey Diane, so good to be here with you. I know we're gonna dig into some fun stuff. So I'm gonna throw myself like on the fire <laughs> because now that I have you here, I'm gonna solve all of my problems too. That's right. So let's do so it. This is awesome. Um so I'm really enjoying the book. I love it. I, I highly recommend it to people. It's it's a fun read. I'm still I'm still working my way through it, but I've mm-hmm. learned a lot so far. And I know your sister Cheryl Richardson, who is an amazing coach and author in her own right. And I was familiar with her work, but I, I bring her up because I didn't know you came from such a big family with yes. seven kids. <laughs> seven? kids. Oh my gosh! So I was wondering, like, did the space issues start even then? Because I could imagine that you know it must have been uh, kind of difficult, you know, finding your own space with so many. Yeah so many people. What was
1: that like? Yeah, there was a lot of people in the house growing up. So there there were nine of us, seven kids and my mom and dad. And, you know, it wasn't a particularly cluttered house, but it was just the sheer volume of items of nine people, right? So there was a lot of kind of knickknack type stuff along the chair rail shelves and you know, little decor choices that wouldn't be mine as an adult, because it's just too much stuff. But it was more so just the sheer volume of things, you know, I'd go into the hall closet to get a pair of shoes, and I would dig through a mountain of shoes, (laughs) because it was all of our shoes, no matter how much my poor mother cleaned that closet and organized it and put all of our shoes in a row. As kids, we would take off our shoes and just throw them in the closet. And so it just became this mountain. So it wasn't, it didn't really feel like um, an issue growing up. It was just the number of people and the, the amount of stuff. But I think, that, I think it. looking back, I can see how it probably played a role in how much I value visual clarity and just being able to kind of feel the energy flow in a room without being knocked into all of the kind of stuff of nine people. Right. I can only imagine
0: that. That must have been crazy, but it sounds like fun too.
1: It was fun. It really was. I mean, it just, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have changed it because we were, you know, I'm the youngest of seven and my next oldest sibling is almost five years older than me. So I had more space in the house because they were grown, right? So I was a little bit more like a firstborn or an only child than the baby of the family. So I had plenty of space for myself, sometimes too much. I was like, where are all my siblings? Cause they're all grown and out with friends. Um, so yeah, but it was fun. I definitely would not change it. That's
0: so great. I could just imagine that. So one of the approaches in the book that I really liked is that it takes this particular book takes a look at emotional clutter mm-hmm. and how that can hold us back. And, you know, you're talking a little bit about energy and space. And on another interesting thing that I thought when I was reading the beginning of the book that you're actually in a super small space right now.
1: Yeah, a two hundred like a mini home, a tiny home on wheels. <laughs> um, so two hundred and forty square feet is the size of the home. Um, it's going to be coming to an end, but we have been living in it for two years, and we're going to be now um, transitioning into a massive nine hundred and sixty square foot house. Um, but yes, yeah, so the the tiny home on wheels was an idea that was conceived on such kind of like a whim. I, you know, we owned a home. Um, in a beautiful seaside community in Massachusetts years ago. And I was just kind of feeling t- a little tied down, like the kind of white picket fence was feeling more like barbed wire and the and the roots we had planted were feeling a little bit more like shackles. And I thought, you know what? I am so tied to this house and the responsibilities that come with it. I've, I didn't feel like I really had the freedom and flexibility for adventure that that I wanted in my life. And really on a passing conversation one night, I said to my wife, Melissa, do you ever think about just cashing it all in? And I was just using an expression, right? And she said, oh, do you mean sell the house? And I said, well, I hadn't gone that far yet. And clearly she had been thinking of it because she's like, well, we could sell the house. We could live in a different country even. We could move to Belize. They use U.S. currency. They speak English. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) So that kind of snowballed into this conversation of what would we do if there were no restrictions? If we could do whatever we wanted, we both worked remotely. So I thought, why are we staying in one place? And so that transitioned into the idea of why don't we travel the country in an RV for as long as we want to and see how that goes. And that transitioned into tiny house. Um, so we built the tiny house ourselves. With, you know, We had professionals come in for wiring and plumbing and framing. But because um, this was before the tiny house movement was really exploded. So there were no tiny house builders out there that you could hire. And, uh, and so we built it, and it's a 28-foot tiny house on wheels. It's beautiful. Uh, it ended up a little bit heavier than we wanted. <laughs> so to tow it around the country became difficult. So we, we moved it a few times uh, with the help of a hauling company, which ended up being much wiser and more affordable. Uh, so it was nice to have the space that we live in. We designed it function first, form second right? How are we going to use this space? And let's build it accordingly. So for such a small space, it had everything we needed. For instance, I prefer a big, beautiful shower over a sprawling kitchen. So we made the bathroom bigger than and the kitchen a little bit smaller. We thought about what do we need to store in this home? And we created the storage for it. And we were able to downsize a lot because we didn't really needed it's amazing when you realize how little you truly need to be happy um, right. so yeah it was uh it's been an amazing experience to really see that you really just need you you need very little to be completely fulfilled
0: well, it's such a great message, and that journey I think is so interesting, and I know there's a lot of people that are really intrigued by that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, my brother did, well, he didn't do a tiny home, but he kind of sold all of his stuff and bagged out to Mexico mm. and like got rid of everything and is living in a much cheaper place
1: mm-hmm. with
0: with less stuff. Yeah. And also, um, I remember Dr. Wayne Dyer talking about this uh, years ago during my Hay House days before he moved to Maui. He basically handed over his keys to his place in Florida to his assistant Maya and just said, get rid of it. And wow. then I think he kind of freaked out a little cuz there were some things I think he wanted to keep and then had to go back and try to find some of them but he ended up just like leaving all that stuff mm-hmm. and it really is just stuff
1: right It's just stuff. And,
0: and we're going to we're going to dig into that a little bit cuz I I think it's so interesting and I since I've been reading the book over the past couple of days I've been looking at why I'm holding on to stuff so that's why I said I'm going to throw myself on the fire today and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and get some of your help but I want to talk about the energy of space and and you mentioned that just a a little bit earlier that really, you know, when our physical space is crowded, our energetic space is crowded, right? And that's holding us back so much.
1: So much. It's, um you know our outer world often reflects our inner world and so if we find that we are just stumbling over piles or or just even annoyed by that small stack on the end table or the counter it really is interrupting the flow of energy and the flow of our life so it's almost as if and i'm dating myself here when i say this but it's almost as if the record is skipping <laughs> Um, you know, when the energy is trying to move around your life and your home and it's having to bump into clutter of any kind. Um, and so it really does impact how we feel internally and it, it starts to impact things like, because it messes with our energy, we start to struggle to make decisions or we start to struggle to think creatively or be resourceful. That's when we get to this place of all or nothing thinking, like I could never do that. Or, um, you know, l- why does life have to be so hard? We, we, we go to these broad statements and and that's partly because the energy is not flowing easily in our lives at all, because it is being interrupted by all kinds of clutter, physical, spiritual, emotional, all the same.
0: Right, right. That I think that's, that's so interesting because when, when I was thinking about it, as I was reading through the book, like i know how i'll feel when i get through a horrible task like cleaning the bathrooms which i hate or scrubbing yeah. the floor anything like that but then once it's done i'm like oh that feels so great you know and yes. there is that energy that you can physic you can feel it's it's palpable and i think people dis- dismiss that like oh that's just woo woo stuff or you know feng shui is not a real thing and there's not energy moving around but there there really is and it does affect yeah. our lives in in so many ways.
1: Absolutely. I mean, think about, like you said, when you clean the floor or clean the bathroom, or even you know if you organize your junk drawer or maybe you clean your linen closet, how often are you going back and looking at it again and again and again because it feels so good? Yes, you're proud of the work that you did, but even more than that, it feels so different. It's amazing. Exactly.
0: Yeah. The feeling is great. I mean, just recently I had a bunch of clutter in the kitchen and I went to Home Depot and bought this shelving and I got rid of it and I, I made it all organized and I actually hugged it. See, like, like after I said, I love this. shelf.
1: Yes. <laughs> it's <laughs> I, I get it's it. so
0: ridiculous. My husband's looking at me like, you know, but several times after we just moved that stuff, put it on this shelf, this metal shelving. And I, I was just, I was so happy. So, yeah. you know, get just getting people to kind of move in that direction and think about that in the book, you say, all obstacles are clutter and we can clear them, but that we're going about it wrong. You know, yes. like, well, you know, I was talking about my, my fits and starts of, of clutter and clearing things and buying the shelving. And that was great, but there's still a lot more that I need to get rid of. Mm-hmm. So what, like, what's the main thing that we're doing wrong in the first place?
1: I think we are, you know, any kind of clutter we struggle to clear, I I call it stubborn clutter. It is stubborn because there's more to it than just the stuff. If it was just about setting aside the time and getting it done, it would be easy, right? We'd just have to schedule the time. But if we're not scheduling the time, if we are thinking about doing it a lot, but not actually doing it, if we are um, procrastinating on it a lot, then we're, we're going about it wrong because we start to beat ourselves up for being lazy or messy or a procrastinator, et cetera. When really, what we want to be doing is inquiring and looking at our behavior from a place of intrigue and curiosity. Like, gosh, I've been talking about doing that clearing. You know, I've, I've been talking about clearing off my counter for weeks. Why aren't I doing it? What benefit? am I getting from not doing it? Which I know sounds so silly, but there is a payout to not doing what it is you say you wanna do, otherwise you do it. So we're going about it wrong because we think if we just discipline ourselves and push ourselves to just suck it up and get it done, then it's gonna happen, but how's that working for you? Right, it's not. So let's look at, okay, that might be my intention, why don't my actions match my intention? And then you'll discover the real clutter you need to clear.
0: Right. And there always is a deeper meaning, right? Or there's a, a deeper reason that we really have to take a look at. So I was curious, you know, I watch that show Hoarders. I'm mm-hmm. sure people always ask you about, about Hoarders. <laughs> I mean, what a, you know, what a crazy situation that, you know, yeah. these people get into the state, um, And where you're talking about like the procrastination, the overwhelm, but I can Mm -hmm. see, I mean, those are extreme cases, but I can see where like when it gets to such a level, you're like, well, I can't do this now. Forget it. It's just, this is overwhelming. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, but those kind of things creep in over time, right? It it takes a while to get to that point.
1: It takes a while to get to that point. And really, you know, people, um, people talk about hoarding like i have people who i work with all the time who say you know i really think i'm a hoarder and that's it that's a really um powerful term like we really want to look at so I'll ask them cuz if you truly believe that you're a hoarder then we want to talk about therapy cuz that's an anxiety disorder that's a psychological condition so hoarding will people will take real comfort in the stuff around them and it doesn't matter what that stuff is which is why it can sometimes be trash it can just be like old newspapers. It can be things not of value at all, but the sheer presence of the items around them provide them some sort of comfort. As strange as that may sound to those of us who don't have the condition. So if you find that, I mean, it doesn't mean that you that they love their stuff, but on some deeper level, it is benefiting them because it's it feels safe. That's why, you know, people who truly struggle with hoarding will really resist outside people coming in and just clearing out their space. But those who don't struggle with that condition can't understand why they want to hang on to it. Like, let me just come in with a dumpster and get rid of it all. Um, But yes, so that from a true hoarding perspective, it absolutely accumulates over time. Um, And, you know, you want to check with a therapist or your physician about anxiety disorder, psychological conditions that are behind it. Those of us, there are a lot of people who classify themselves of, as hoarders, but really aren't. They just have a lot of stuff, right? right. And um, and that's when I find it interesting, because there's something about labeling yourself as a hoarder that can almost give you permission to not clear the stuff. Well, you know, I'm just a hoarder. And it's like, well, but are you really? Because yeah. if you are, then we want to make sure you get the proper help for it. Or are you just calling yourself that because then you have permission to not do anything about it?
0: Right. Like yeah. that's the label and and that's your excuse. Right. I mean, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't put myself in that extreme hoarding category. I mean, I mm-hmm. think I'm, uh, you know, and definitely after reading your book, I was able to identify, you know, a couple of key hoarding or collecting, I don't know, <laughs>
1: Well, ta- yeah, hoarding we'll tendencies, about sure. you know,
0: Yeah, hoarding tendencies. Yeah. And then I was curious too, do you feel that um, sometimes, is that hereditary? Because my, my dad was kind of on the hoarding side. He, uh, he you know, it's things. interesting.
1: I find that it can go either way. So I talk to people who grew up in a very cluttered household who will not have any clutter in their house at all. So they almost go to the extreme end of perfectionism. Um, and there are those who mimic the behavior that they were taught. Uh, So as far as it being inherited, the behavior certainly can be, yes, right? Right. Which then goes right to our belief system. If that's what you saw growing up and you learned as a child, oh, this is how we manage our, our belongings, then you're going to take that lesson and bring it with you into the future until you come up at a time where you're like, you know what, that way of living really doesn't work for me anymore. Let me go ahead and change it. So it absolutely can be learned behavior.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I wondered that. I mean, my mother was definitely not in that category. She was always super neat, super organized. She was a teacher. Everything was dotted I's, cross T's and all of that. Mm. And my dad was the one that had the space in, in the garage with all that junk and crap and every, yeah. everything in there. So that's, yep. that's where I, I saw that. So I want to just briefly talk about like the three types of clutter. Cause I never really thought that it was, you know, categorized, but there's simple symptomatic and core. Mm-hmm. And, and what are those? So
1: categories? simple clutter is just as it sounds, if it's stuff that you no longer love, need, or use, and that you can easily get rid of. So um, junk mail, simple clutter, right? It comes in, you're like, I don't want this, right? Into the recycling bin it goes. Very easy to handle. Easy to identify as clutter, easy to remove. Simple clutter. Or I read this book, I, don't, I, I won't read it again, I'm going to pass it on. For some people, that's simple clutter. Uh, Symptomatic clutter is any other kind. It's any kind of clutter and thoughts, things, or people, relationships, uh, that you know is not serving you best in your life, or you know that you're done with, or you know that you no longer love, need, or use, but you're just having a hard time getting rid of it. You know what? Mm -hmm. But I might read this book again. I might, even though I've been saying that for 10 years, but I might. Um, or, you know what, I bet he'll change. You know, these kinds of things. We can, if we know it's not serving us best, but we don't get rid of it, then it's stubborn clutter. And it's worth looking at, why aren't I getting rid of it? Um, and then the core clutter is the reason why you're not getting rid of it. So the core clutter that is at the at the source of all stubborn clutter is are are those three types of core clutter, which is unrealistic expectations, limiting beliefs, and the need for boundaries. Those three, underneath every kind of clutter, that you that is stubborn that you can't get rid of,
0: right. It's interesting when I was listening to your explanation, I'm, I'm looking at some clutter on my desk mm-hmm. and, and I don't want to talk about paper and, and, and stuff and, and books because those are my main two types of clutter. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when you're talking about the simple clutter, which is junk mail, well, yeah. I get a ton of junk mail because I'm on everybody's list asking for money. Because every yes. time I donate something, I get, you know, the the PETA and, and the sad animals and, mm-hmm. you know, donkeys and, and every animal that wants some kind of, you know, money from me, right? So the way I've tried to handle that is first, I won't look at it because then I'll get sucked in. I'll feel sad. Yep. I throw it away. But then I'll kind of go through it and go, well, maybe I'll give to this group, this group. And then there's like a little stack on my desk that I've whittled it down to mm-hmm. people that I might donate to. But it's still sitting there making me feel guilty because I haven't given them any money. So, yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> I'm, so
0: I'm trying, I'm trying to work through this. And I, I can see where there's like there's layers. So yeah, it's, absolutely. It's really so, in interesting. That,
1: so in that small stack that you've whittled down to. You know it's gonna tug on your heartstrings. You know it's gonna be difficult. So that's a boundary issue, right? So if it's like I I have my chosen organizations that I support, that I love the work that they do, that I give to regularly. And so anything else that comes in is um clutter.
0: Right. And I have to make that I have to make that distinction. So I do have the the few that I always will donate to, then sometimes I'll do the wild card. Mm-hmm. And then there's others, like they just find me. Yeah, and, and the the mountain of paper that we get, it's just overwhelming. Yes. I don't know if you get that same kind of amount of stuff.
1: Yes, from, the, for from the same mail? thing. Yeah, animal animal rescues that kind yeah. of stuff because I donate to the same. And I think you could save so much money by not mailing all of this stuff out,
0: <laughs> right? Save you the know? postage. Yeah. But when I and then so so some of that is maybe there's guilt and fear there, mm. like like digging in a little bit to my problem with paper. So kind of tackling that as a, so I'm inspired after I've been reading the book, I'm going to try to tackle some of this stuff in, in my office. First of all, I won't go into the other rooms yet. That'll, <laughs> that'll be another, another case. But as I was thinking about it, a lot of it's fear, like with the paper, like the tax returns, the old insurance policies. Yep. Why, why do I need that? Who's going to come knocking on the door? The guy in the black suit. You need that tax return. You know, the black helicopters will start circling. You need that paper. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. Why do I need something from, you know, 1980 or whatever? Yeah. Like when you advise people on that, can we go maybe, would you say like, okay, save two years and then shred?
1: Yeah. It's um, the best source of definitive answer is your accountant, but I will say um, you know, if you're a business owner, for instance, um, here in the States, at least the IRS can't audit you beyond three years back. So I only keep business records for the previous three years. Uh, back in the day, the rule of thumb was seven years for personal and individual financial documents, tax returns, et cetera. I don't know if that's still the case, honestly. Um, again, I get rid of anything beyond three years. I shred it all. Uh, but yeah, so the kind of fear of, look, I don't know if I need to keep this, what do I need to do with it? Then your first step is not deciding whether to keep it or not. Your first step is to seek out a source of valid information. So the first step is I'm going to contact my accountant or look for a reputable resource online for how long do I need to keep this stuff? Because it's not about the stuff, right? It's about do you trust yourself enough to take the proper steps to find the right information. So right. you can't expect yourself to know, like, I'm not a CPA, I'm not an accountant. I can't expect myself to know. I know the three-year thing about my business because I asked my CPA years ago. And I'm like, okay. And I check with them every now and then. Is it still three years? Yes, it is. Great. And I'm going to hang on to it. Uh, so I, it, it's good to find out. So it's less about, do I keep this? And more about, can I trust myself enough to find the right answer?
0: Right. That's good to know. That ma- and that makes so much sense. Well, thank you for telling me about 3 years. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I could start I could
0: start getting rid of a bunch of stuff now. Oh, yeah, that's bonfire. so funny. <laughs> but but maybe it's the fear of I think it's and for me it's definitely fear. I need that receipt. Here is my proof. Mm-hmm. You know, I paid that bill. I paid that tax. And I don't yeah. know where the fear of the government or the tax man came for me because I've never really had I've never been audited or any, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I haven't had that issue, but for some reason, I'm really afraid that, well, I'm going to need that proof, you know? Yeah.
1: And so you may not have been audited or you, you may not have been, had the, you know, guy in the black suit come knocking at your door, but I would look at where else in your life uh, were you kind of called to the carpet for not following the rules, right? If you open up the the scope a little bit or, Did you witness a primary person in your life struggle with the law or with tax stuff or with just not following rules? Like where did you witness consequences or repercussions for you or someone you know and love who didn't follow some sort of set guidelines or rules? And I don't mean that they were necessarily arrested. They might've just been reprimanded by their spouse, you know, or shamed as a child, like any number of things. What we do is, we witness that, and then we twist it and make it fit all different areas of our life and so for you what what you're focusing on with it is financial stuff
0: right. I think it's my well i, I it all makes it's making sense, even as you're explaining it, because it all goes back to like my fear of numbers <laughs> mm-hmm. so we're going to talk a little bit more. We'll take a short break, and we're talking with Carrie Richardson about her new book. Clutter from Clutter to Clarity. Clean up your mindset to clear out your clutter. And we'll be right back. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome back! Thanks for joining me after the break. I'm just having a great conversation here with Carrie Richardson, talking about her most recent book, From Clutter to Clarity: Clean Up Your Mindset to Clear Out Your Clutter. Available now. Grab it at Amazon or your local bookstore. And it's funny because Carrie, I'm just I'm being so like blatantly obvious that I need your help. (laughs) So like this this past uh, you know show or this show is going to be like, you know, my my therapy session. But we're talking about fear, you know, and about clearing stuff out and I'm I'm really inspired now to, you know, take some steps and do it. And we're talking a little bit about fear and and my paper fears and yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's um fear for me and fear of of numbers and and taxes. I've always been horrible at math. So mm-hmm. I think I have a fear of first of all, being taken advantage of because I don't understand it Mm -hmm. and that I'll be made to feel stupid Mm -hmm. because I'm not quote good in math. You know, so that's, that's been from like grade school. Like when Mm -hmm. I would get the red X's on my papers and they would come back and there it is, there's that fear. Oh, I'm shamed. I'm horrible at math. I'm, I'm dumb. I'm stupid. So that definitely, you know, ties into it. But I do have a good accountant, <laughs> perfect. So I, so I trust him, and I and he's helped me out a lot. You know, I've had the same guy for the past few years, so mm-hmm. I will have to have a couple of conversations um, with him. And and also in setting up a new business, which is something I've been doing over the past year, that's terrifying to me too. So I don't want to let go of any of that paper. I might need this, yeah. you know for my and business, you
1: can, right? And so that is it. Really, a fear of I might let go of something that I need. Or is it a fear of starting a new business? You know, it's going to be scary, but yeah, getting those red X's in grade school can be very impactful. And so you get a message of you're not good at math. You tell yourself you're not good at math. You now hold that belief. So unwittingly and unknowingly your whole life, you are operating from the belief of I'm bad at numbers. So your mind, your brain goes on autopilot to prove you right. And it's going to seek out situations and scenarios where it can say, yeah, you're right, you do stink at math, right? So imagine if we just shifted that mindset and said, I'm getting better at math. Um, And getting better at math can mean finding a great accountant because you don't have to be an expert with numbers. Getting a great bookkeeper, you know, you can have people... Who like, you know, since I hired my bookkeeper, I don't keep most documentation because she has it all electronic for me. If I need to pull up any proof of payment of anything, I just shoot her a note and say, Can you send me proof of this payment? Um right. So it's getting good at math can mean getting yourself surrounded by people who love numbers. It doesn't mean right. you have to now become a math whiz. And getting and getting the help. It's
0: funny, one of my one of my fantasies is you ever see Goodwill Hunting and you know how yeah the Matt Damon character would be able to just go to the blackboard and write this complicated mathematical equation. I would (laughs) love to do that. That's a fantasy for me. That will sadly probably never come to pass, but it's, it's still a dream, you know, yeah. I'm hanging on to. So one of the techniques that you share in the book, there's so many great um, exercises and things that you take people through. It, it is very experiential in a lot mm. of ways, the book, which I appreciate. And you talk about the Pomodoro technique, and I just want to share mm. that with people because I think it's something easy.
1: Yeah, you know, I love it. It's, it's it's one of my favorite things. This is the Pomodoro technique um, is not something I invented, unfortunately. It's just something that I love. And it's an interesting little story. So Pomodoro means tomato in Italian. And the gentleman who kind of came up with it uh, was a university student um, in Italy. And he was struggling to focus and get his and get his work done. And so he came up with this idea of what if I just focus in 25 minute increments? And so he got the kitchen timer from his mother's kitchen, which looked like a tomato, um, and set it to 25 minutes and, you know, through trial and error, found out that that really worked well. And so when we try to focus on anything, I use this all the time, whether I'm writing a newsletter, sorting a pile of papers, uh, whatever it may be. So it's really a great way to help you to get good at getting started, because to finish anything, you need to get good at getting started. And so let's say that you wanted to sort the paperwork that has been, you know, taunting you and intimidating you. I would encourage you to clear your calendar, like set a time that you're going to set 30 minutes out of your calendar, treat it like any other important appointment. And you're going to sit down at that pile of paperwork or whatever task you choose to do. And you're going to shut down all distractions. So you're going to silence the ringer on your phone. You're going to shut down your email. Let anyone in your, in your household know I'm not available for the next 30 minutes. And you set a timer and you get going on that task at hand and your resistance and your fear is going to try to talk you out of finishing. Uh, You know what? Let's just jump on Facebook for a second or let's run and throw a load of laundry in. That's when you look at the timer and say, no, we only have, you know, 16 minutes left or we only have eight minutes left and you keep going until that timer rings. Then you can stand up and walk away from the task for a, a five minute break. Come back if you want to. That little window of time, and 25 isn't necessarily the magic number. It might be 15 for you. It might be 30 for you. But knowing that you have a finite amount of time helps your resistance see a light at the end of the tunnel. Because oftentimes what happens is when we are sitting down or about to start something we've been putting off, it can feel like a prison sentence because we've been avoiding it so long. And our resistance can feel like, No, once we start, we're never going to be able to stop. You're going to expect me to do this for the next five hours. Um, So that's an unrealistic expectation, right? So instead it's, no, we're just going to try this for 25 minutes and we're going to see how it goes. And sometimes, especially if it's something that you've been resisting big time, um, Some of that Pomodoro round or palm, I call it, I shorten it to palm round, P-O-M, because I like to think that means peace of mind. <laughs> so a, a palm round, you might find that the first 15 minutes, you're sitting there throwing a little bit of a temper tantrum. I don't want to do this. I want to do anything but this. That's okay. Sit with that uncomfortable feeling, have your temper tantrum, and then get five minutes of sorting done. It's just a great way to get good at getting started. I like that
0: because it's there's a beginning and an end. And to kind of give yourself uh parameters and some rules. Okay, I'm not gonna get distracted because I'm sometimes I'm like the the gnat, you know, oh there's a shiny thing, oh there's oh, yeah. Facebook, you know, <laughs> oh mm-hmm. turn over my phone. So to clear the decks, giving yourself that twenty-five minutes or thirty, or like you said, whatever works, mm-hmm. and kind of power through it. Yeah, is is great. I mean, I think that's a great technique and something that everybody can easily attempt, you know, Mm -hmm, to try to get some stuff done. So I want to talk about clutter in relationships, because this I think is like, is so meaty and so interesting. Mm -hmm. And especially with friendships, and you know, we read so much about uh, love relationships and our parents and stuff, but really friendships Mm -hmm. are an interesting dynamic. And if you've lived to a certain age, you likely have people in your life that you've known for decades. Mm -hmm. I know I have, and I've had, you know, situations happen where sometimes these friendships don't work anymore. And Mm -hmm. what are we going to do? You know, we, and we need to either step away or end them, or there's difficulties in our, our familial relationships. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about that because it encompasses some things like boundary setting and, Mm-hmm. and things like that. Like, what do you do with a friendship that you're questioning? And you have some great examples in the book that,
1: that I love. Yeah, yeah. So with with um, with any friendships or really any kind of relationship, um, if if it feels like something about the relationship is no longer working, even if you can't put your finger on what exactly it is, it's worth just pausing and evaluating. So the first place I always start with relationship clutter is I ask myself, Is this a repair or a replace? Is this a relationship that has just really run its course and it's time for it to end? Or do I care enough about this person and the friendship to invest some time in tuning it up? Uh, So that's the first place I go to. There are some things, there are some relationships that just run their course. You know, I have friends from college and high school that I've broken up with, and it's not easy. uh, And sometimes it just looks like it just kind of fizzles out. We just don't. We start to talk less and less frequently until we're just not talking anymore. Um, But there, I've had experiences in the past also where I've had to have difficult conversations and say, you know, I just think our lives are moving in two different directions. Um, I really have loved our time together and have appreciated your friendship over the years, uh, but I don't have the time anymore to devote to this friendship kind of thing. A little less clunky than that, but it's all about practicing, right? It's about deciding if this is a replace, meaning it's time for this person to go thinking about how do you want to go about that? I would say seven times out of 10, it's a repair, right? More often than not, it just needs some fine tuning. We think we're done with this person when really it's like, well, do they even know what frustrates you about them? Maybe if you care enough about them, have a conversation again, not easy. And there are steps to take to do that. Um, but that's the very first place to go because when you have a toxic relationship in your life, that type of clutter permeates every area. Um, it starts to really impact your self worth, your availability for the things that really matter most to you. You start avoiding the person, you start dreading their phone calls or text messages. You're spending a lot of energy on that toxic relationship when it could be healed, either repaired or it can just be wrapped up.
0: Right. And yeah, I guess you have to just do some hard thinking and and decide, you know, what you're going to do. Now with with friendships, you you kind of have more of a choice in that situation, but with family it's a little little more difficult. I mean, you can limit your time that you spend with that family member mm-hmm. if it is very toxic, but I guess it's it's difficult to really break up with family unless of course it it's so abusive and toxic that Exactly. You have to cut that tie. And that would be, I guess, an extreme case.
1: Yeah. And, but it happens. You know, I just I just spoke with a client this past week who had to make the difficult decision to step away from her parents. Um, and it wasn't easy for her and it was an incredibly toxic and abusive relationship. Uh, so yes, it's while it's really difficult to imagine ever having to do that, there are certainly scenarios where it's best to no longer have that family member in your life more often than not, it's going to be a a repair. So a repair with a family member who is really toxic um, is absolutely going to look different than a friendship because they are family. They're going to likely be at family events or holidays and whatnot. So a repair in that sense is going to be more of a boundary you put in in that relationship. And that boundary may look like, Um, you know, they'll be at the same family event, but you're not going to spend a lot of time talking with them because it's just too combative, let's say, or, um, you're going to get together with them and practice loving them where they're at, right? Like, okay, I know what I'm going to get with this person. I'm not going to go there with any different expectations. I'm going to love them where they're at and kind of show up almost half-heartedly, um, or you can, you know, if it's a family member who you've maybe fallen out with or been estranged from, but you really do love and care for it, then again, it can be a deeper conversation. Uh, so it just depends on what stage or level you're at and how much work you want to put into it. But yes, family is much more difficult because you can't break up with them as easily as you can a friend, not that even with a friend is easy, but there are different kind of levels of boundaries you can put into place to protect your spirit around them.
0: Right, right. I mean, I'm thinking of some of the situations that I've been in where with a friendship, I had to just kind of let it go. And it was really painful. I mean, I I felt really bad about that situation. Then another situation with my brother, where we had a big blowout, but then we discussed it, you Mm. know, and and I had to make that decision of repair. And I had a conversation like you have these beliefs about me, I have these beliefs about you. Mm hmm. Where in where, you know, does the truth lie? Right. And we were able to move past that. But then you have to say, look, you can't. So in my case, it was, you know, you I'm not comfortable with you making those kind of comments. Mm-hmm. Like there were comments and he was making that he thought were funny that were not, yep. you know. Yeah. So and and like you said, maybe they're just not aware of how stupid and obnoxious yeah. <laughs> you know, they may be being in that case. Right. But to be able to have those conversations, and even though they are difficult, mm-hmm. the benefits are, are really amazing. Like now we, we do have a really, a really good relationship. Nice. Um, that's really important. Card. That's an important
1: point that you make because boundaries, we think boundaries are about cutting people off. Um, really, when we are going to set a boundary in a relationship, it's because we care enough about that relationship to, to take better care of it. So boundaries are really a loving thing to do. It's not a relationship ender. Um, It's like you value the relationship with your brother enough to have that conversation with him. I mean, that's a beautiful act of love for him. It doesn't mean it was a comfortable conversation, but it was like you matter enough to me to have this difficult conversation, which is why it's so beautiful to even start with, you know, because our relationship means so much to me. I want to be truthful with you. Those comments and those jokes really bother me. And I would appreciate it if you didn't make them in my company. Right. You know, and,
0: and just being honest like that and, and boundaries. I mean, I'm so glad we're talking about this because I think it's such a big deal, especially for women, Mm -hmm. particularly, I think that we have a a hard time setting boundaries, you know, saying yes, when we want to say no and, and that kind of thing. And I, I loved your description of the boundary breakers in the book because we know all of these people, right? <laughs> I, I can, I can, you know, I won't name names, but uh, <laughs> many of them are family members. There's the, the commiserator
1: mm-hmm. and, and
0: who is that? That's the one that's always, you know, is, are they like liking your, your anxiety? Is that the Yeah.
1: They just they connect over commiseration. Right. And so they'll want to get together and just complain about things. They don't want to, they're, they're not one to celebrate your successes. So they're the misery loves company type person. And yeah, they just connect over commiseration. Like, oh my God, can you believe this world we're living in? Or like that kind of, if that's the, the crux of their conversation, that's a toxic relationship. Yeah.
0: The, the ain't it awful. Then the dumper, that's obvious. The dumper. I'm kind of the dump E in, in my family where, you know, <laughs> they just want to dump. Mm-hmm. You know, the victim, the one that is never wrong, right? Is the, or yeah. will take responsibility.
1: Doesn't take responsibility. It's always poor me. Look what it was being done to me. Look at the hand I've been dealt.
0: Yeah. And then there's the damsel in distress.
1: Yes. The damsel in distress is can't someone please come rescue me? Like, I don't want to have to do the work myself. Can't someone just write me a check for a million dollars? Can't someone just do all of this for me? Can't someone just give me that magic pill to make me lose all the weight I want to lose? that's the damsel in distress.
0: Right, the magical thinking, you know, someone yeah. someone do it. And wouldn't we all love someone to just swoop in with the wand? Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I would love that. <laughs> take take this away, you <laughs> know, <laughs> just take care of everything. Yes. It's so interesting, but I think as as people read the book and and I hope they do, you're going to laugh to yourself because I was having lists of, okay, that's this person's this. Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> person's the victim. This is the commiserator. Mm-hmm. And but I think identifying them is better for you because then you have ways to set those boundaries and you can handle the situations a lot better.
1: Yeah. It's not about just like throwing a label on somebody. It's like, oh, okay. I see that there's someone who likes to blame everyone else for their issues. This is the type of boundary I need for that. You know, I Or they're a dumper who just wants to call and tell me all their woes and then go away. So the type of boundary I want to set with a dumper is, hey, you know, I am happy to be at the sounding board for you as I've been, but now I want to support you in taking action. So I'm no longer just going to listen to what's not working, but let's come up with a plan. Right? So there's a, all different boundaries you can set. And then the other interesting thing is to see if you identify as any of those on that list. I have certainly been the damsel in distress. Like, oh my God, I don't want to have to do the heavy lifting. Can't someone just come do it for me? Um, so yeah, looking to see like, oh, do I possess any of these traits? Because if yes. you do, you're likely going to attract a lot of the same people.
0: Right, that's so interesting. No, I mean, I'd have to look at look at myself and and see where I fall in in mm-hmm. some of those categories, and I like the parameters that you suggest to set with people like the way I've been handling the dumper in my life is I'll listen, I'll be like, "Uh-huh, uh-huh, and I'll still be emailing or typing like I can turn off a piece of my brain, yes, because I know they're just gonna dump, mm-hmm. so i I ignore it because they're not going to listen to my advice, right. right. And so like, I've managed to have these sections of my brain where I'll turn it off and I'll check email, look at my phone. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. right. <laughs> yep. Are you done? Okay. You know? Yeah. But that's not really the best way to handle it because they're not getting anything solved. They're dumping on me. I feel bad. Yeah. And yeah, now they I hang have a headache, up. you know? Right.
1: Yeah. They hang up feeling light and free. Until the next time they need to dump and they call you, you hang up feeling weighed down because you are carrying, you have now become a container for their energy and you're walking around, lugging that around. Right. So again, the loving thing to do, because I, believe me, I have had plenty of dumpers in my life and I would do the same thing. I would have that ability to, to be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, well, I'm doing something else. And I thought once I started really dreading their name on my phone or the text <laughs> message and I thought, Carrie it's, this is not a loving thing to do for yourself and certainly not for them. So step out of the way so they can move along their spiritual journey. Cause by letting them continue to dump, I'm like, I'm a speed bump on their life now. Like I'm in the way of them progressing because I'm not, I'm not forcing them to learn how to self soothe, how to solve, how to take action. So that's when I go to that place of, gosh, you've been telling me a lot of, you know, about this for a long time. It's got to be exhausting. How can I help you make a change?
0: Right, and take some action because nothing yeah. is going to happen until then. And one of the great tools that you mentioned, and I'm, and I've tried to use this with other people as well, is Byron Katie's method of of truth telling mm-hmm. as a great tool. You know, the four questions. Yeah. And I think I mess it up because I never get the four right in the right order. <laughs> you know, but I think, but it's is it true? You know, is it absolutely true? Mm-hmm. And then what's the other one?
1: Uh, who are you when you believe that thought? Right. And who, or how do you behave when you believe that thought? And who would you be without that thought? Yes. Yeah. That's
0: what I I need to remember those. Cause I've used them with various people. Like, you know, where would you be if you weren't thinking that all the time? Yeah. You know, wouldn't it's it so be powerful. great? Yeah. It is. It's really those, those four questions are are really super powerful mm-hmm. and just kind of questions you know, is this true? Is this really true? And another that question, one that's great.
1: Go ahead. That, that question alone is so powerful because yeah. what how we talk ourselves out of doing the things we say we want to do. I'm going to clean up that paperwork today. Well, no, not today because I have to do blah, blah. However, we talk ourselves into procrastinating. It's great to stop and go, well, wait a minute. Is that actually true? Um, and testing those stories, we often find there's a whole lot of holes in them.
0: Right, oh, procrastination is is such a big thing, you yeah. Know, with with so many people,
1: mm-hmm. and a, a
0: couple of other great tips, I want to share these with people that I gleaned from the book that I think is so great. And I love the power of the pause because mm. a lot of times, like I just had a text from from a friend. Oh, let's do this this weekend. I'm like, hmm, do I really want to do that? <laughs> mm-hmm. let, let me think about it. So I I haven't answered the text yet because I'm Good. still think I'm still thinking about it. I don't know. i and, and actually I had a, I had another plan. With someone else. So I have to tell this person I can't. I already made another plan. Mm-hmm. But it, it's so crazy with all of the electronics in our lives and our phones, these stupid phones that we're so attached to mm-hmm. that we feel we have to jump like a seal. You yes. know, we're like trained seals. Here's that's the so text, true. bing.
1: You know, yeah. here's this. I have to respond. You know, so that's mm-hmm. a really
0: important piece, isn't it? Just to yeah. kind of pause. If, and- yeah,
1: just to pause. And, and if you need help, practicing that pause then you know throw your phone on dnd for an hour you know so then you can go or for two hours heaven forbid so then you can go look and see whatever came across in those two hours and you can breathe and pause and wait the other thing is to not jump and respond to every text message that comes as soon as you respond right away you teach the other person you're going to respond right away and then if you don't respond for two hours they're like well what's wrong are you mad at me what's going on and we start making up all these stories so I try to get into the habit of waiting. I usually wait at least an hour, if not more to respond to a text message. Some people, if there's something urgent, of course I'll respond right away, but why not let people know I'm not at their beck and call. Like I'll get back to you when I get back to you. Um, but it is hard cause we are like Pavlov's dog. It's like, Oh yes. You know? Uh, right. so that takes a lot of self-discipline and again, boundaries on ourselves.
0: Yes. And we respond. And I, and I was just writing down, you said that D and D I need to remember that setting yeah. on my phone, <laughs> you know, do not disturb, leave me alone, you know, mm-hmm. for a little while.
1: Yeah. I have mine scheduled every night at 11 o'clock. It automatically goes on and doesn't shut off till eight. Perfect. Now with the D and D, cause in, it inevitably someone says to me, but what if there was an emergency? I have one or two people that I have selected to be exempt from D and D. So they know they're the ones who can reach me if there's an emergency in the family, let's say. So I'm not unreachable, but I decide who gets to break through the DND barrier.
0: Right. No, I love that. Setting up the DND barrier and then just giving one person, okay, if someone's in the hospital, yeah. then obviously I want to know about it.
1: And you have to be the one who calls because you're the only number that will get through.
0: Right. And it has to be important, not that you burnt the toast, you know, or something like that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like, we don't,
0: we don't want to know those things. Mm -mm. So funny. So (laughs) it's been so great to talk with you. Um, We have just, you know, a couple of minutes, and it goes by fast. But I want you to be able to share some of the things that you're working on. I mean, you've got, you know, an active coaching business, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have some courses and things? Are you going to be teaching things from the book?
1: Yeah, so I have, um, I actually have an online membership community called Clutter Clear Your Life. um, And it's at clutterclearyourlife.com. And it's a great place where a whole bunch of women come together and a couple brave men um, come together and we support each other in making the space in your life to fulfill the visions of the things that you want to do. And so there's monthly member Q and A's where I do live coaching with people. There's a whole library of recorded courses and webinars and worksheets. We do power palm rounds where we come together and, you know, decide what you're going to work on for the next 25 minutes. Then you go and do it right then and come back and let's debrief. Um, So it's a great community of people that, is really the main place where I give support. I do coach private clients, just a small roster of clients, um, and occasionally teach courses as well, Radical Decluttering, From Clutter to Clarity. Uh, But the primary place is in that membership community where I ran a book club for each of my books and all of those sessions are recorded in the library for the members. Uh, it's It's a fun place.
0: So lots of great resources. So I urge people to go to your site. It's Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-Richardson.com and find the place for your stuff. Clear this stuff out. I'm gonna get busy with this box right here after we uh, love it. <laughs> after we disconnect. <laughs> but thank we- you so much for joining me today, Carrie, and, and sharing your wisdom with uh, the crowd here at Unity.
1: Thank you so much for having me.